Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Okay, our first reading for today will be from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord almighty. He is the King of glory. And our second reading is from Revelations, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming from the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall be it. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be with you uh, to begin this series on the kingdom of God, four-part series over the next four Tuesdays. I'm preaching this series next year for an AFES conference in Sydney over Easter. And so I'm really keen not only to get this first run through, but to hear your feedback. So if you've got any thoughts or questions, please bring those to me because I want to improve these talks uh, for the sake of the um, UTS group that I'm preaching for next year. A a bit of extra background is that I'm writing a book on Jonathan Edwards and the Kingdom of God, but I can't work out what he thinks right or wrong unless I've worked out, first of all, what I think the Kingdom of God is about. So this is also some long-range planning for the book I'm writing. So let me pray for us. Uh, Please, Heavenly Father, may we this morning 
know you, our Lord. May you encourage us this day in our service. In Christ's name. Amen. Well, Luke Skywalker helped me become a Christian. When I was 12 years old, I travelled with my family from Melbourne to Britain on a ship and then after a few months in Britain turned around and got a ship back to Melbourne. So that was five weeks at sea in each direction. In those days, it was actually cheaper to travel by ship for five weeks than it was to catch a plane. It's a long time ago. But it was one of the most formative experiences of my life and I vividly remember crossing the North Atlantic. Uh, This ocean liner was being tossed on extraordinary waves and looking from the deck, seeing whales breaching in the North Atlantic. It was this powerful, indelible experience which I still recall vividly. Seeing the power of nature and the grandeur of the world. So when I got home to Bayswater High School, (laughs) there were so many questions I had about God and about the world and about my place in it. I was actually quite depressed. I felt so small having experienced the magnificence of God and his world being brought back to reality in my small patch of it. And that feeling of being insignificant was compounded when I saw the first episode of Star Wars. The galaxy was so big. Where do I fit in? So as a 12-year-old, I came away from seeing that movie yearning to join Luke Skywalker in his quest and his mission to find something to devote his life to to make a difference in the world for good. And it was not long after that that I heard the gospel preached for the first time in a lunchtime group at school and became a Christian. Feeling small can be a really healthy first step to working out where we fit in. And the kingdom of God is a biblical theme is a magnificent theme where we work out how the smallest things fit into God's biggest plans. The kingdom of God is a theme from the scriptures which helps me place my experience within God's cosmic plans for the universe. It's one of the most significant themes of the Bible. It's kind of everywhere but nowhere. It helps us make sense of the creation and the church and Christ. It shows us how God's power connects with my weakness. And it gives us a vision of how we set our priorities today in the light of all eternity. The kingdom of God might begin like a grain of mustard seed, but it culminates with the death of death and the ultimate victory of God. And Psalm 24 is a magnificent place to begin these reflections. It's in the middle of a sequence of psalms by David, the king. 
And to begin Psalm 24, David calls out, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, or in the original, to Yahweh belongs the earth. To Yahweh, the leading words. To the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. He is the great Lord, Yahweh, over all that he's made. Nothing has been made that he didn't make himself. Or as Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch theologian and prime minister of the Netherlands as well, once said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign of all, does not cry, this is mine. God's power is so awesome that he can even establish the earth and all human beings on the earth on top of seas and rivers, the most unstable way of thinking about how our world works. But it's still solid enough for God to build his world on. He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. And it's not just that God owns everything. He owns everything because he made everything. As Genesis 1, 9 to 10 speak of. It's so refreshing for us, brothers and sisters, to recognise that we are not the creator. It might not be really obvious to some of us. We are the creature and the creature's job is to worship the one who owns us and made us. What are human beings, the psalmist says, that you're mindful of them? The son of man that you care for him. But look at what happens next. We've seen this magnificent picture of God as the king of all, over all things made, human and other things. We move in verse 3 to ask a question, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? It's a very odd question. We've just learned that God made everything, but there are only some people who can draw close. Not everyone can. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Well, only the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. Not everyone can go up the mountain of the Lord. We all might be made in God's image, but that doesn't qualify us to enter his presence. Indeed, the mountain of the Lord is often used as a picture in the scriptures of how we might draw close to God. Whether it's Mount Moses going up the mountain to meet the Lord in, the, in Exodus 19. Or Mount Zion, really a piddling little mountain of no great stature, which is described in some Psalms as being the tallest mountain in the world. In either case, Mount Zion was the place where God had put his temple that we might meet him there. Who can draw close if not all the world? Well, we learn in verses 5 and 6, only those who've received a blessing from the Lord 
and vindication or righteousness from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Only those can draw close who've received a gift, a passport, as it were, which enables them to enter into his presence. Some vindication from God, their saviour, to see him face to face. And when you open up my passport or if you opened up yours, this is the, these are the words you'd read on the front page. The Governor-General of Australia, being the representative in Australia of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, requests all those whom it may concern to allow the bearer, an Australian citizen, to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford him or her every assistance and protection of which he or she may stand in need. When I travel, I need the passport that the sovereign has given me to enter that new land. We need to enter God's presence, particular permission. God rules over all the world. He's king of kings and lord of lords. But there are some people within the world who form his kingdom. Those people have acknowledged that he is the king. They've submitted to his rule. They've received his gift. They no longer oppose his authority. God is the king of kings over all the world, yet within the world there are some who no longer contest his rule but have submitted and entered his kingdom. This is a glorious world that the Lord has made, but only some belong to him. Listen to these words from John chapter 1. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who did believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We can draw close through the merits of Jesus Christ. In the 18th century, philosophers argued that God was distant from the world and perhaps didn't even care particularly about it anyway. And, of course, there were some Christians who wanted to defend the idea that God was close and accessible and intimate, not distant or uncaring. And one of those Christians was Jonathan Edwards, who became a Christian when he thought about what it means that God is king. 
Listen to these words. They're just glorious. Edwards wrote, There has been a wonderful alteration in my mind with respect to the doctrine of God's sovereignty. I've often since not only had a conviction of this, but a delightful conviction. The first I remember that ever I found anything of that sort of inward, sweet delight in God and divine things that I have lived much in since was on reading these words, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honour and glory forever and ever. As I read those words, there came into my soul and was, as it were, diffused through it a sense of the glory of the divine being, a new sense quite different from anything I ever experienced before. In reading about the king, he discovered that he belonged to the kingdom. And in his soul, personally, intimately, he recognised and received the glory of God. Well, Psalm 24 begins with a picture of God being king over all the cosmos. We learn in verses 3 to 6 that not everyone who lives in this world has access to God only those to whom God has given the gift of vindication or the gift of righteousness. But narrowing down further, verses 7 to 10, we learn that we have that access because the king has won a great victory. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. We have the right to enter God's presence because there was one person who had a victory on our behalf. Now, in verses 7 to 10, it might be that this psalm was stimulated by reflections on the Ark of the Covenant being brought up to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 6, or David following behind, or some representative of David perhaps, the details of how this, these verses were inspired might be left to a little bit of guesswork. But what we do know for sure from these verses is that the king who made the world and who owns the world is the king who has a mighty victory over the rebellious world. This king, this one person has victory in battle. He is the Lord of the armies, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, the King of glory. Who is this King of glory? 
Christ died with a sign over his head, King of the Jews. Christ rose to declare a victory over sin and death. Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father to rule over all the world and to intercede for his own. And Christ will one day return and give the kingdom that has been established back to his Father, according to 1 Corinthians 15, and so the end will come. It is through Christ, brothers and sisters, that we are the kingdom of God. Listen to these words from Revelation chapter 1. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. We've seen that from the first few verses of Psalm 24. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He rules over all. However, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Or from 1 Peter 2, we learn that we have been made a royal, a kingly priesthood. And why? So that we might declare his praises, sing his value, acknowledge his reign. Or from the book of Hebrews, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. We are receiving a kingdom as his people, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so from Revelation 1 or 1 Peter 2 or Hebrews 12, the only thing we can do is celebrate, worship and praise. In our unstable world, our king gives us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We are safe forever. Where is the kingdom of God? It's here and it's now. So let's sing.